3: We're back on the Dr. Dahlia Show, 1-877-DOC-DALI, one docdali So one of my listeners had this sort of issue, where there was a family member who was struggling, cancer, and when the adults were saying, you know, glad it finally happened, uh, when he passed, uh, he's, um you know, basically at peace and you know what a relief uh, grandchildren grandchild overheard and did not interpret it the same way an adult would and was confused why somebody would be happy the grandfather died how do you discuss that how do you you know how do you discuss death with your grandkids how do you or with your kids and so uh, it's it's not easy. Uh, to me, I turn to religion. So depending on your religion, there's usually, this is already in the textbook. Okay, there's already a, um, uh, a protocol. There's already a recipe. Right? There's already directions that you follow. Um, but, you know, kids, depending on how old they are, they understand things differently, and you, you kind of have to be aware. We might understand know what we know, but how a three-year-old thinks versus a five-year-old thinks versus an eight-year-old thinks, it's difficult. Now, and so whereas an adult would look at somebody who has cancer, that came out of remission, came back um, tenfold, was causing horrific pain. Um, uh, you know, muscle wasting. They weren't able to eat. They were, you know, and, and you're looking at that. You can't really necessarily explain that to a, a grade schooler, you know, somebody younger. And so, you know, how I would do it. Now, again, I, you know, this might be different for your religion, but how I would explain things to my kids is that this is one part of God's world, and God has a whole other part to His world. Some of us are on this side. Some of us are on the other side. And that I have a lot of family members that have gotten to go to the other side. You're not supposed to go there before you're ready, you know, because you definitely don't want people thinking about suicide or anything like that. You don't want want to make heaven sound like so much fun that they're like, well, man, okay, well, let me get to that side quicker. So you have to still be careful. But grandpa, like when my dad died, Um, God needed him to do some work. So he brought grandpa to his side. Grandpa's not coming back because he's got this job to do. We'll see him later. Well, but right now God needs him and he's got a job to do. And so if you have somebody that misinterprets you, you you could say, look, you know, grandpa was in pain. Grandpa was not happy. He had something that was very, very painful. And God helped him. And he's not in pain now. That's why we're happy. Now, kids, you know, are learning that, you know, death is bad. Death is bad. Well, of course, you don't want them to die. We say, don't do not do that. You'll die. You know, we scare the hell out of kids. But then you try to bring up a concept where death is not bad, that there's it's it's a part of life, it, it 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 could be scary for them. So if you ever don't know what to say, don't. Talk to their Sunday school teacher, talk to their doctor. We usually know, you know, how to handle it. You don't want to say a wrong thing, although it's really difficult on a Sunday night when your child is asking you these questions. You know, and you could say you know sometimes death could be very very bad, but sometimes death is is a part of life and then they're like, well, I don't want to die, I don't want to die uh, and say you know you are not going to you're not going to, you'll be fine, but you have to be careful. You have to do things to protect yourself. Now, And, and, and you still want to teach them because you don't want them to run out into the street. You don't want them to, uh, I remember when I was uh, a kid in the 80s, there were young boys putting Superman capes on their back and then jumping out of windows thinking they could fly. You know, we do have to have honest conversations with kids. We don't want to traumatize them. But we also don't want to undereducate them, worried that they're going to traumatize. But I bring up death, you know, to people, even adults, as, you know, look, it's a whole other dimension. Now, I believe all my family members who have left are there. I believe their spirits are there. Their souls are there. I believe God has other jobs to do. And I believe Earth and what we're doing here and the meaning of life. It's a job interview. God's watching all of us. And he's watching and seeing what we're doing. And if he needs us, he's like, I need you now. He's like, oh, Dahlia, no, please. You'll just, oh my God, you'll wake everybody up up here. Just stay there. Stay on earth for a little while longer. So I don't know when God's going to want me. Hopefully he doesn't want me soon, because I I, I still think I have a lot of work to do here. But he may want me. He's like, all right, I I got a position for you and shipping and receiving. You're up. I lost an uncle to leukemia. And as a kid he had died in the 50s, so it was way before I was born. But I was asking my mom, why would a good person, because I thought dying happened to bad people, living happened to good people. But, you know, if Uncle Stanley, if if your if your brother was a good person, why did that happen? And she couldn't explain it. She would just, you know, sometimes bad things happen, and, you know, he got cancer, and I always found that very, very distressful that, you know, such an angel would have his life cut short. But how I have reconciled it is god he didn't need to do much more of a job interview he was hired on the spot god saw him and said i know exactly what you could do for us and and we need you to make it as peaceful and easy as possible and i got work for you up here and so that that's how i look at it now you know you don't want to lie maybe my conception is completely wrong and everybody will form their own conception of what you know death is, but sometimes you do need to explain that the passing of somebody who's old is not always a bad thing. You know, with their animals, we all say, "Well, they go to the farm. They go to the farm." You know, I uh, maybe we need to change that because my kids are like, "Well, can I go to the farm and see all the animals?" Uh, no. One eight seven seven Doc Dolly.
6: February is heart month and every year Extendivite has a sale. This year is no different. Extendivite is regularly 69.95 plus shipping and handling for a 2-month supply. In February, Extendivite is only 57.50 for a 2-month supply plus shipping and handling. Extendivite is a combination of garlic, cayenne, hawthorn, bilberry, ginkgo biloba, valerian and milk thistle.
8: Com. GCNfood.com. com
3: We are back on the Dr. Dahlia Show. Thank you all for tuning in. one 877 doc Dolly. 1-877-D-O-C-D-A-L-I. Big thanks to Genesis Communications Network for making the show happen. Big thanks to Jason, our producer, and big thanks to you all for tuning in. We really do appreciate it. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Dr. Dahlia and on Facebook, the Dr. Dahlia Show. So as we spoke about in the earlier hour about Alzheimer's and finding signs early, when we talk about cancer, when we talk about diabetes, when we talk about heart disease, the common theme is catching the disease early and identifying the early signs of the disease. Well, we are now in the medical field being able to incorporate AI to help us do this. Scientific wellness is a new approach to healthcare. It focuses on using data and tech to prevent diseases as well as promote overall health and wellness. This is a shift from traditional medicine approaches that primarily focus on treating the disease we need to kind of get to the before part of things and so joining us next where we are really really excited to have is dr nathan price chief scientific officer of thorn to talk to us about how we could utilize ai to identify early signs of disease dr price thank you so much for joining us
9: great to be with you
3: thanks so much wow well talk to us more about scientific wellness this is fascinating
9: Yeah, so the idea behind scientific wellness is that we want to take the same level of scientific rigor that has been applied to the study of disease for so many decades and instead apply it to the study of health. In fact, I was on a a panel uh, right before the pandemic with the chairman emeritus at, at Harvard Medical School, and he put this in a way I really liked, which is that healthcare is the only industry that does not study its own gold standard, which is wellness. And that's really what we want to change.
3: Mhm. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the traditional medicine and traditional approaches to healthcare versus now what this can do. Talk to us about the differences.
9: Yeah, so the big difference is starts at the very foundation. So, much of what how we set things up in the science world is all around the study of disease, right? The National Institutes of Health are in fact a collection of different disease institutes, and the way that medicine works primarily is diagnosis to drug, which is you know, post-symptom. Uh, so that's all set up that way. So when we think about scientific wellness, part of it is generating a lot of data, starting from people who are relatively healthy, monitoring them over time so that we can understand, like, what are those early warning signs, how do we intervene, and then can we intercept disease kind of before it gets going.
3: You know, a very common study that keeps coming up is how people on statins may be at higher risk of diabetes. But I have found that many individuals who have had diabetes 10 years before their diagnosis had high cholesterol. And so, you know, catching these things early you know, and, and understanding the risk may actually also allow us to, you know, shall we say, you know, modify some of the theories we now have in science and understand that, no, there might have been some genetic tendencies to begin with.
9: Yeah, and I can give you two, two examples on that front that are really interesting. Uh, this was done. Um, so one study is that on the statin, so you're exactly right. You get nearly a 10% increase in diabetes for mm-hmm. individuals who are on statins. Now, it turns out, and we learned this from our scientific wellness studies um, uh, jointly with uh, Sean Gibbons, who's a good collaborator at ISB, but basically what it showed was that your microbiome plays a huge role. So if you have a certain kind of microbiome, only about, so we broke this into four groups, only two of those groups showed any evidence that they would increase diabetes markers. The other two didn't. Mm-hmm. And in fact, in one of these kinds of microbiome, these are all the small, these are the gut, you know, these uh, Um, uh, microbes or bacteria that live in your gut. And in fact for a subset of them, if you had certain kind of bacteria, a statin would lower your LDL cholesterol by double the rate of the rest of the population. And so we were actually able to see that by gathering all this dense data across populations over time just from uh, what we call these scientific wellness studies. So that's one thing. The second element relevant to what you just talked about is that it turned out that if you're trying to lower ldl cholesterol by lifestyle right so you're trying to stay off a of statin right you mm-hmm. want to say can i do this by just good behavior it turned out that we could predict in advance who could succeed at that and who wouldn't and that was predictable by genetics so so a lot of the features that you're doing even early as you're trying to adjust these are very personalized based on all these other factors that we're bringing together in scientific wellness your genetics your blood measures your microbiome you know and that's why we test for a lot of these kind of things at Thorne.
3: We're speaking to Dr. Nathan Price, Chief Scientific Officer of Thorne and co-author of The Age of Scientific Wellness. You know, Dr. Price, so many of our listeners obviously are very very health conscious. How can they take control of their health? How can they utilize this?
9: Yeah, so I think there's many things that you can do in, in the in the broad sense, just being aware of the kinds of measures that you can get at, uh, so having a, an understanding of what's going on from blood measures, from microbiome, uh, getting genetics, kind of knowing what you're at risk for. Uh, we try to make this as practical as possible for people as well. Uh, thorn.com, uh, you know, for our company, uh, that's T-H-O-R-N-E, um, E at the end there. Uh, but basically, we try to make this simple for people as well, where you can get access to over 300 products, but then have testing that helps to uh, indicate for the kind of things that you might be having a problem with, or if there's issues that you're trying to avoid. What are some of the things that you can do? And I think bucketing that into your first line is lifestyle, right? Lifestyle, diet. Like, what can you do that will make a difference on 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 your health? Uh, then I really like to look to the natural world, uh, which is what Thorne really is building products around. Uh, and then you know get into the you know pharmaceuticals or the medical system as needed uh, if something gets more serious. But basically. You can take very proactive control of your health, and one thing I'll say is you really should, because no no one in these systems in the healthcare system is aligned to perfectly to maximize your health besides yourself.
3: Amen to them. You know, a recent study had talked about niacin, and niacin. I we had known about this in the medical field, but it started to become very um. Uh, It became discussed more so in this last month or two how for some individuals the niacin could help their cholesterol panel, but for others it could make it worse. And so I think people are starting to get confused where there's a recommendation for one, but it could turn around and be a boomerang for them. And it just cements the point and highlights, uh, lays evidence to we are individuals and our care may have to be individualized where it's not a one size fits all.
9: That is exactly true. Um, and it matters where you're at. And it's not even one size fits all on like person to person. It's also you at one point in time versus you at another point in time. So true. there is a lot of, of, you know, of, of, um, personalization that needs to happen. So within scientific wellness, I'm really a big proponent of getting your measurements so that you, you actually know what you're driving towards. Another big factor is especially if you're trying to achieve prevention for around a different scenario, it's very unlikely. And we've actually done this in, you know, big artificial, uh, you know, AI like digital twin simulations and things of this nature. Uh, But basically it's very unlikely that one simple intervention is going to be the solution for you. It's almost always a combination of things. And so you want to take a systems approach or a personalized approach that's tailored to you where you're hitting it from multiple angles. Uh, a simple way to think about this, right, if you have, a like, a clock or something that has three broken gears in it, you got to fix all three, right? If you've solved one of them, you know, any one of them won't do anything. And this turns out to have big implications for clinical trials and so forth, where we do all of our clinical trials typically on one intervention. That makes it much more likely to fail than when you do personalized interventions that are informed, where you're doing a different combination that's tailored to every individual.
3: So true. So true. Another great metaphor is: you got three boys; they're running around acting up. Just getting one to behave not enough. You got to get them all to behave. Yep, I hear you. That's a better metaphor.
9: I like that. Yeah.
3: Great. <laughs> so great. In the last minute or so, uh, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners about thorn and scientific wellness?
9: Yeah. So I think that as we talk about in the age of scientific wellness, there's a huge push right now across healthcare. Uh, Deloitte actually did a very interesting study where they are. We spend about four trillion dollars a year in the United States on healthcare, and they're forecasting that about two trillion of that over the next uh, several years, I think going to 2040, are going to shift towards wellness. So there's there's going to be this big sea change uh, coming, and I would just encourage listeners to to participate in that and uh, think about the ways that they can be proactive about their health. That there's so much more you can do than you could even just a few years ago. Uh, so trying to take advantage of that. And for, uh, people that want to find what we're doing, as I mentioned, uh, thorn.com, um, is there. We're on socials, um, on Instagram at thorn health and just be proactive about your health wherever you do it. And I think it's just a wonderful time to, uh, take advantage of the new technologies that are available now.
3: So true. And Thorne with an E, www.thorne.com. Dr. Price, God bless you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Can't wait to have you back.
9: Thanks so much. Great to be with you.
3: Same here. All right, guys, don't go away. 1-877-DOC-DALI, one 877
7: Say News update. Farmers in Texas aren't sure what's alive and what's not at this point with a fast moving wildfire, the Smokehouse Creek fire burning through the panhandle. It's left 60 counties under a fire disaster declaration burning 300,000 acres of land just since yesterday. The funeral of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny, who died earlier this month in a remote Arctic penal colony, will be held Friday in Moscow. After several locations declined to host the service, his funeral will be held at a church in Moscow with the burial to follow at a nearby cemetery. New York City Mayor Eric Adams done with his city being a sanctuary city for migrants. He says if you commit a felony, a violent act, we should be able to turn you over to ICE and have you deported. Corey Myers, USA News.
3: Dr. Dahlia Show, one eight seven seven 877 doc dali one docdali Tragically, wildfires are spreading across the Texas panhandle, threatening towns, forcing evacuations, cutting off power to thousands of homes and businesses. According to NBC News, a fire at the Smokehouse Creek north of Amarillo has burned through 500,000 acres, is 0% contained. It is now the second largest wildfire in Texas history. Governor Abbott has issued a disaster declaration for 60 counties, urged Texans to limit activities that could create sparks and take precautions to keep their loved ones safe. Mind you, this is February, going into March. This isn't peak wildfire season in terms of thunderstorms, in terms of of dryness, in terms of heat, but there have been strong winds, unseasonably high temperatures, and dry grass that we believe are fueling the fires. Rain may arrive tomorrow, hopefully. According to um, uh, Fritch residents, Hutchinson County Emergency Management Spokesperson Deidre Thomas, such much-needed resources are beginning to arrive, but Fritch area residents should prepare themselves because some homes are completely lost. There are still active structures on fire in Fritch, and active fires are still there. Some homes have been destroyed, but some have been Okay video is showing cattle trying to flee. You look at the grass, and the grass does look pretty dry. And um, they are, uh, uh, of course, the topics of climate change, and climate concern come up. A uh, new report from the Copernicus Climate Change Service, the European Union's climate agency, found that wildfires in Brazil, Venezuela, Bolivia, in February, have produced the highest carbon emissions for the month since at least 2003. There have been a significant increase in the number of wildfires across the tropical parts of South America in the second half of February. The intensity and their estimated emissions also jumped in the latter part of the month. Tropical parts of the continent, including Venezuela, Brazil, uh, also are approaching peak wildfire activity for the year. Now, with what's going on in Texas, we have... Um, uh, so many storms that may hit the Midwest. As the Texas wildfires are continuing to burn, the Midwest is facing a cold front and severe storms. Over the next few days, we don't know if the higher winds and those sorts of, uh, sort of um, uh, uh, conditions could possibly spurn more wildfires. Obviously, we need rain. This is called the Smokehouse Fire, now considered the second largest wildfire In the state history, 30 of the largest wildfires occurred in the state between 1988 and 2022, the largest being the East Amarillo Complex fire that took 907,000 acres in 2006. The big country fire was back in 1988, was the third largest, burning 366,000 acres. So as this is growing and 0% contained, it's concerning. The impacts on farming, the impacts on food, the impacts on uh, wildlife. Um, In fact, we're being told that the fire is burning near a nuclear weapons plant. Flights at Chicago's O'Hare Airport were grounded and passengers were forced to shelter in place after tornado reports were being told. The nuclear weapons facility is, though, planning on reopening. It is the Pantex nuclear weapons site in Amarillo. Yeah, you know, I you you when you you know, having had a fire in my house and as a kid, having to evacuate and losing everything from that, it uh I, I couldn't imagine what people are going through. It is so devastating when your childhood memories, your all your belongings and you are starting from scratch. Um my parents were very proud so they would not accept community support. You know, uh, my school wanted to uh, do a collection, and they said no, no, we're going to do this ourselves. And we very proud, and and I get that, but it is it's frightening because you don't have a place to stay. Luckily, we were able to uh, work with insurance and be able to get a motel, so we could at least have a roof over our heads in the meantime, because uh, we didn't have family in the area. But it's uh, it's definitely not easy, and it's 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 devastating. Now, from the power outage. Interesting. In Texas right now, 13,859 people are out, are out of power. But they're not the only state dealing with power outages. 13,000 people are out of power in California. 10,000 right now in Washington State. 10,000 in Georgia. Uh, 16,000. There are more people without power in Tennessee right now than Texas. In Ohio, 11,500. In Michigan, we have 25,000 people without power. You know, I I really urge you guys to keep an eye on what's happening with power outages. Um, it, it's a fascinating map. It's called PowerOutage.us. Every time I log on to it, Texas has outages. Uh, Texas, I don't know if their grid is. I don't know if it's privatized or what's going on with. with but their 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 power, I know, is a little unique, and how they do power compared to other states, and I notice they seem to grapple a lot. But then again, they are a very highly populous state. Um, <clears throat> a lot of land, large, large land um, uh, next to Alaska, one of the largest in terms of square uh, uh, miles. But I, this poweroutage.us is a fascinating website to me, because when we have power outages in Nevada, it's devastating, especially in the summer. And so when our power does go out and we don't have air conditioning and things are getting hot, well, we like to pack up and go. Let's just go somewhere. Let's head to the coast. Maybe let's get a motel that might have um, you know, power or better generators than we do. And we're just so grateful that we have cars that we could jump into. And we have this executive branch that is hell-bent on making us so dependent on electricity, that I just wonder you know, if that's the smartest thing. And power outages are, we could predict power outages. Uh, that's something that I think I, you don't have to be a fortune teller for, especially as more and more people are dependent on a power grid. You know, they say the reason why Texas struggles, it's multifactorial, is their grid uh maybe archaic it needs upgrading there's too much reliance on it there's too much demand on it and so we should probably learn from what's going on with Texas before we start to add any more demand and i know people think that i'm just being anti electric vehicle cuz i got nothing better to talk about i'm not anti electric vehicle i think the idea of electric vehicles is very cool i've driven one I don't have one. Uh, Very cool. It's fun. To me, luxurious. It's something that, it's like a rich people toy. I don't see the practicality for middle class, lower income. I I don't see it right now being financially practical or realistic. I also find it anxiety producing because when my phone is losing battery or my laptop is losing battery, if I'm in a car, That's losing battery. We're hearing lots of reports of inconsistent battery. You might think, okay, great, I have 215 miles left, only to find out when you're in cold weather or going up hills or on the highway, the mileage drastically changes. We don't need that type of anxiety. We don't need that extra pressure on our grid. It should be a choice. If you want the cool, fun, electric vehicle, that's great. But trying to tell us that it's better for the environment – I'm not I'm not completely uh, convinced of that. You know, and even you know with the Maui fires, people have been blaming the power company for the Maui fires. It could have been the thunderstorm, it could have been the the hurricane that was to the south of uh Maui at the time, but you know, we, we really want more power lines. We want more electrical grids. If people are really that worried about climate change and things drying and wildfire, You really want to add more electricity? If we're having low water, you really want to add more batteries, electric batteries, whose fires take hours to get out and tens of thousands of gallons of water? There needs to be some studies done. We also need to know accurately how often an electric battery ignites or upon impact and the amount of impact that it takes to do that so we can understand the safety of it. But, you know, Texas right now is grappling with a lot. And I don't know if adding more to the electric grid is helpful in any way. One eight seven seven 877 Dolly.
2: Yours free at MySolarBackup.com.
3: Addictions can sneak up on us and come in many forms. Whether it's drugs, alcohol, sex, video games, porn, or something less obvious such as food, internet, or shopping, addiction can seem innocent at first and then evolve into an insurmountable evil. In our book, Addiction Basics, Caitlin Kalikas and I dive into the common addictions and provide tips for identifying and preventing these before they sneak in and take over our lives. Addiction Basics can be found on Amazon or on my website, drdalia.com. Check it out. Fantasy football season is coming, but sadly, too many of you are taking the bench while the country takes part in one of the most exciting and lucrative industries out there. Don't know how to play, huh? Well, huddle up and listen. Sports analyst Paul Kalikas and I have written a fantasy football pocket guide for beginners. This book walks you through the basics and shows you how simple and lucrative joining and creating a fantasy football team can be read our fantasy football pocket guide for beginners found on amazon or follow the links on twitter and facebook that's fantasy football pocket guide for beginners it's time you get into the action
11: hi i'm dr joel wallach the dead doctors don't lie guy there's no reason why you shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there
6: This year is no different. Extendivite is regularly $69.95 plus shipping and handling for a two-month supply. In February, Extendivite is only $57.50 for a two-month supply plus shipping and handling. Extendivite is a combination of garlic, cayenne, hawthorn, bilberry, ginkgo biloba, valerian and milk thistle. These ingredients work synergistically to improve your overall health.
12: Thank mm-hmm. you.
3: 1-877-DOC-DALI, One eight seven seven D docdali So you're not alone. I'm telling you right now, you're not alone. I'm hearing time and time again, many of you are applying for jobs. You're applying on Indeed, LinkedIn, and you will a few days later say, sorry, we are moving forward looking for another applicant. Or although your application is highly impressive, we do not feel it's the right fit. We are going to continue to look for somebody who might align with our knee. I don't know what BS you're getting, but people are getting really frustrated and they're losing their confidence, which is a, a, a big no-no, because we're having a tough time getting people to go to work. Nobody wants to be turned down. And now we have a lot of unemployed individuals or underemployed individuals that are afraid to apply because they think they're getting rejected. Well, let's kind of look at what's happening here. Okay, we've spoken about this before, but do not take it personally. There are a lot of moving parts here. So when I used to pavement pound to get a job, I would walk in to the restaurant and say, are you looking for a waitress? Uh, are you looking for a hostess? I walked into Jack in the Box saying, are you hiring? You would meet the manager. You would smile. You would um, uh, you know, convey your personality, convey your work ethic, convey in a very minimal amount of time that you were very eager to work there. They would hand you an application. They would watch you fill it out. Now, you could take it and bring it back, or you could stay there and fill it out. I would sometimes stay there and fill it out. And then if there was some garbage on the ground, I would just run, pick it up, throw it out, wash my hands, and then go and continue. Or I would just be nice, wave to people going in and out. Let that manager see that they're going to be hiring an employee that has no problem picking up trash and has no problem with customer service. I would get the job. Most jobs I applied for, I got. Because there was a process you could do in person. Well, now we have dissected that all out. The very first time my son was looking for a job, I'm like, well, walk in and pick up an application. Okay, well, nothing screams Gen X or over 40 than you walking in and asking for an application. And my son said, when I did that, they all said, just go online. Just go online. You're like, but you want to work at that location. How do you do that? They say just go online. So now you are going onto a web or the cybersphere, and you are uploading a black and white, you know, image of yourself on paper, hoping that somebody will pick up your personality. Pick up your work ethic based on that. And because things are online, rather than you getting that one-on-one and getting that step up, you are now among thousands. Now, we always tell medical students, it's easier for you to get the residency if you've done a rotation and they know you and see you. If not, you're just a piece of paper. You're just, or not a piece of paper, you're just a, a, a digital entry. And so, for those of you that have been applying to jobs all over your city, or the Southwest United States, or the Eastern Seaboard, and you're getting nothing, it's not you. Don't take it personally. It's that they are being hit, and they are being—apologize, people call it—they they are you know being inundated with so many digital applications all over all over the world. So now, rather than you being one on one, you're one of. A million or a few thousand number two is uh, as we know there is a huge 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 push for diversity rather than it being optional do you mind answering some of these questions i am noticing on applications it's just but uh, can you please tell us about your race it's optional you could say prefer not to answer but you know you're not going to get the job if you prefer not to answer And so almost every application I'm hearing is, all right, what is your race? Do you have a disability? Are you a veteran? Do you need sponsorship, visa sponsorship? And so these are things that are probably gleaning and changing what's your gender, what's your race. So, you know, if you have a company that is now looking at their labor pool and finding that they could be under criticism for not being as diverse, then they are going to need to satisfy that diversity. We are hearing that there is company after company, we're going to be talking about this, laying people off. So you see an ad for individuals that you're hearing these companies are laying people off, but then there are these ads. What are these ads? Why are these ads out there? Well, is it that the company wants to promote somebody within and they can't do that without following the, the handbook, or following the guidelines where they open the up to the public, they have no intention of hiring somebody from the outside. But they need to show that they entertained applicants from the outside before they promoted from within. So, again, I, I, I'm i not saying don't waste your time, but understand that it might just be the... I mean, it... it It might just be, you know, going with the motions of doing what they need to do so they can hire who they want anyway. And then you have many individuals with budgets, and they will not get the budget renewed. We spoke about this in December if they don't spend it. And so they can't spend all their money in December. So if an HR department wants their budget renewed and the company's not hiring, still put ads out there so then they show they're still you know well we're always looking for new talent in case somebody quits we have people ready to go and they could justify the spending i'm not saying all hr departments but that's so here you are looking at ghost jobs so what do you do how do you advance because it's looking like people are getting rejected after rejected after rejected well one this economy is unique right now Know, people are. You got Paramount. You got Google. You have you have tons of companies right now dumping employees. I think Macy's is shuttering a bunch of stores. Outback and Blooming Brands shuttering a bunch of stores. So what you need to do is you need to get that personality back. And so even though there's all these recruiters and there's there's LinkedIn and Indeed and ZipRecruiter and all that. You know, maybe call the human resources department. Most human resources departments still have telephones. They do or emails. And maybe do reach out personally and say, "Look, I was, you know, I understand that there's a lot of ads that are out. You know, do you prefer us to go through LinkedIn or any of those and apply that way or is there a way I could do a direct application to you?" Don't worry about it hurting your chances of getting a job because you're already not getting the job anyway. And say, look, you know, I've been, you know, a fan of your company. I noticed, you know, th- this is the type of work you do, which I have a passion in. This is, you know, I have a real nice cover letter on that email or when you do talk to them, you know, and say, I, how do I get my application noticed? Because I really would like to work for your company. And you might have an HR person say, look, we have a hiring that we're struggling filling. Just send it to me. I'll, I'll move it up the chain. Or you may have others say, uh, look, I'm at home right now. I can't deal with this. Just go do whatever it is Zip recruiter tells you to do. But you know things are different now. You don't necessarily have a front desk person you can smile at. People are working from home. But just do not lose confidence. Yeah, but you're going to have to be a little creative about finding ways to get the job. But if you're just clicking a button or doing easy apply, it's not getting noticed. one 877 Alley don't go away.
11: Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, the dead Doctors Don't Lie guy there's no reason why you shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there